How's it going, everyone? Welcome to this episode of On Air with Aaron. It's been a pretty good week so far. I've been streaming a lot over on YouTube uh, because Pyra and Mithra just came out for Smash, as I'm pretty sure I talked about in the last episode, and I love them. They play incredibly well, which is awesome. I'm very much in love with their play style. Mithra is very quick, uh, hits not really hard, uh, but harder than like Sheik or, you know, some other really quick characters. She doesn't really kill, but that's not her whole thing. She's supposed to go out and do combos. Pyra is the one that's really supposed to come out and, and do kills and, uh, and hit the opponent hard. I'm really loving them. I was, I was able to stream three days in a row of, of playing them, got some people in, was getting some pretty high number of live viewers, which is awesome. We hit 215 subs on the YouTube channel, which is amazing and i'm very much appreciative of the support um i passed 1600 followers on tiktok this past week and i'm at like 1695 or something now which is amazing i made a wandavision tiktok that's got like 40,000 views or something on it um for the season finale and uh i thought that one was pretty darn funny uh so go check me out on there if you haven't at it's argon games um I'll be hitting 1700 soon probably within this week uh, especially if i post another video but i'm really enjoying uploading to there it's short funny clips that's just really been um sort of the peak for me recently um I will be doing one final stream on my Twitch channel uh, whenever my Pokemon booster box comes in, which should be at the later end of March. So if you want to go check me out there for a final send-off to my Twitch channel, then I'm going to be doing that. I'm still going to keep my Twitch channel alive. Like I'm not going to delete the channel just because if something ever happens and I have to come back to Twitch or anything, especially if I just want to watch other live viewers, then... I'll keep it on there and just use that, but I will be making the full transition to YouTube um, once that stream is over, even though I've pretty much only been streaming on YouTube now. So this week, we're not really going to be talking about a whole lot of news. Um, I'm going to be talking about one piece of news, but the bulk of this episode is going to be talking about the WandaVision Season 1. It finished a couple days ago. It finished on Friday, um, which is like three days ago at time of this recording. And I really liked it. I'm going to keep all opinions and stuff till the end. But yeah, so go check out that rant or rave portion at the end of this episode. So with that being said, let's talk about the one piece of news that I wanted to discuss with you all in this episode. Switch Pro leaks and speculations say that the console might release sooner than expected. If you've been following the world of Nintendo news, then you know that a Nintendo Switch Pro is pretty much going to be a confirmed at some point. The Switch itself is a good console, though compared to its uh, its competitors, a very, very weak console. And no one's really going to deny you on that. It does have very beautiful games like Xenoblade 2... Uh, Xenoblade Definitive Edition, Dragon Quest. It's got a lot of really beautiful games on it that, that run fairly well. But then you run into some issues with frame drops like on Hyrule Warriors, uh, even Fire Emblem Warriors to some extent. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of power behind the console due to its size and uh, and limited space for all the uh, the nooks and crannies of advanced tech to go in. However, there was rumors coming out that there is going to be a new 
Nintendo console coming out possibly by the end of this year. So supposedly the console is going to have an OLED display with the handheld, be able to run at 4K, and could be expected to come out by the end of 2021. So the OLED display, there was a picture I saw. Now, I'm not sure if this was exactly speculation or anything, but it was talking about how the Switch Pro is going to be the same design as the base Nintendo Switch, where it's the handheld with the Joy-Cons and a screen that the Joy-Cons click into. I'm totally fine with this design being reused. Because I think the Switch, out of the uh, contemporary consoles, I think it has one of the coolest designs. I have a PS5, and I really like its design because it definitely looks more futuristic and more more techy. I guess you could call it that. I really do like its design. But there's something so nice about the Switch that is just kind of missing from other consoles. And I think that something is sort of like that simplicity and that not really feeling the need to try to make something look really techy and that's exactly what the switch is it feels like a traditional nintendo console in 2021 which i think is a really good uh design for them so i don't see why they would switch it up the only thing i would recommend is possibly making a, a little bit bigger just to fit some more things in but then you have to balance that with being able to hold the console because you, know, you can't really make anything too huge and carry it around unfortunately so being able to run at 4K, now that that is something that is going to be needing to discussed and elaborated further on. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure. I think the Switch itself runs at 720p. Um, maybe it's 1080. Uh, making a higher jump to be able to do that, they're going to have to have some better processors and stuff inside of the console in order to make that work and really not burn up your hands if you're going to play it handheld because um, the switch itself already gets pretty hot when you play it uh, but trying to you know make it run faster higher frames better resolution all this stuff is just going to burn your hands right off the screen itself supposedly will be the uh, the full console size so if you, if you take a look at a nintendo switch they've got like these half inch black borders around the thing uh, that sort of block out the rest of the screen so you have a smaller display but this new switch pro supposedly is going to have a full sized screen so kind of like what the newer iphones and uh and samsung's have been doing where the screen goes all the way to the edge of the phone that's sort of what it looks like they're doing with the switch pro um, I'm just calling it the Switch Pro. There hasn't been an official name. That's just what everyone's calling it because they're not going to come out with a new line of Switch. Uh, like, or Sorry, they're not going to come out with a new line of console. They're just going to upgrade the Switch. So everyone's just calling it Switch Pro. But there's a very good chance that the Switch Pro is going to have that full screen capability. And it'll probably be a little bit bigger. For some reason, the, the number, the dimension 7 inches is, is sticking in my head. I don't know exactly what length that is, if that's the diagonal length, if that's the actual length or the height. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, that number is just kind of in my head for some reason. So we can definitely expect to see a little bit of a bigger switch, whether it's taller or longer, not too sure. 
but that's something that we can probably come to expect with much much higher resolution and it makes sense because in the future games like uh pokemon legends uh arceus are going to be coming out and then we have uh, breath of the wild 2 at some point splatoon 3 which i'm going to talk about a little bit later on so many do believe that this 2021 release is going to happen, including Bloomberg, GameIndustry.biz, and many others have been stating their uh, facts and or reports they've received about a possible Switch Pro this year. And this is really big news because if you've paid attention to the Switch even for like a minute, you'll know that its biggest complaint is its processing and its overall like connectivity, storage, things like that. So I would personally like to see a bit of a bigger display for the, um, I'd like to see a bit of a bigger display for the actual switch itself and possibly do something to where when it's docked, it can take full advantage of its graphical capabilities. So as of now, the only thing that the dock acts for is a charging station a place where you can plug in your USB ports and all of that, and just the thing you use to connect to your TV with the power source and the HDMI cord. That's about it. It doesn't do anything else, to my knowledge. So I think what they can do is they can take advantage of that dock system, and they can have it to where some way, somehow, it's able to just enhance the graphical capabilities that the switch is able to put on a monitor i'm not entirely sure the specs of the highest rate that the switch can put out on a tv it's not anything ridiculous like what the ps5 or the series x are able to do of course not but maybe they can reach higher levels with a switch pro and then possibly scale it down a little bit for handheld just so it doesn't burn your hands as much to use and so you can uh not necessarily worry about um like frying the console in itself um, i don't know how plausible that is to have a different display for monitor and for handheld i really don't know uh just because i'm, I'm not a tech guy and i don't really know how easy that would be to do uh, but there are obviously a couple things fixing joy con drift is a must of course and no one's really going to dispute that um but who knows, they might they might even just scrap the Switch idea and then go back to like the Wii U where it's an actual console. I doubt they'll do that though, just because I believe the Switch is their best selling mainline console, um, at least in recent times, which is to no surprise. They've had some incredible games come out on it, not even just Nintendo specific ones. So I would just love to see the Switch become a little bit more powerful and have a bit more capabilities to take advantage of so the big question and the big topic <clears throat> when might this actually come out because as i said these people and reporters are theorizing that it's going to come out sometime in the later half the late the last quarter of 2021 this does seem very likely considering last month's nintendo direct the last month's nintendo direct did announce a couple things a couple big things you know obviously including the edition uh, of Pyra and Mithra for Smash. Uh, it announced Splatoon 3 and a couple other games. And then the Pokemon Presents introduced the Diamond and Pearl remakes, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. And it also announced Pokemon Legends. Now, there wasn't any news in the Direct for the Breath of the Wild sequel, 
Um, so we can assume that it's going by well just because of what they've said. We don't know how long they are into production. We don't know if it's halfway done, if it's already done, and they're just doing voice acting. We don't know. There's nothing that we know about Breath of the Wild 2. Not even a release date or a possible, oh, expect it by 2022 or 23. Uh, some people in some sites are putting up that it might come out 2021. I don't know about that. But with theorizing about the Switch Pro, we might be able to get a little bit of an answer about that. So let's say that the Switch Pro is going to come out in 2021. That would make a lot of sense because Di Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are coming out late 2021. Now, they didn't exactly say when that's going to be. They just said late. So I'm going to assume it's going to be within the last third of the year. So somewhere around like October, November, December, somewhere near there, just because that's usually when games come out and they don't have to worry about competing with, um, with Microsoft or Sony for their respective consoles since they were just released last year. So they didn't release when it's going to come out, but we can probably assume it's going to be somewhere within that uh, October, November range, just because that's usually when games come out. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield came out in October, I want to say, of 2018, I think it was. So it's safe to assume it, that's exactly when it's, it's going to be coming out. So in terms of the console, I was talking to a friend about this and I was saying that it would make sense for them to, to hype it up now and just get people ready for the console if it's going to be coming out. But then he, he said that it would make more sense if they release it, they announce it closer to its release date. That way, that way they don't miss out on sales for the base Nintendo Switch. And from a business standpoint, that does make the most sense because if you were to announce it right now or on the Nintendo Direct in February and it was coming out in November, then that's 10 months of possible sales that you could be missing out from the Nintendo Switch. And especially once you've released things like Pyra and Mithra for Smash, um, when you've announced Splatoon 3, when you've announced uh, two new Pokemon games, it wouldn't really make sense to try and announce it and have people wait 10 months because you're going to be missing out on pre-orders and things like that. Because we don't know if you're going to be able to play Switch games, base Switch games on the Pro. Though I assume you will, because I feel that they'd miss out on a lot of, uh, of sales if they don't do that. So I'm pretty sure they would. So if it was to release this year, then I would very much assume that they're going to do like a Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl like bundle. Because they have done bundles in the past. They've done Sword and Shield bundles, Mario Kart bundles. Breath of the Wild, I think I didn't have a Switch when that game came out, so I don't know if they did, um, but Smash Bros, they did as well. So it would very much be plausible because Sinnoh remakes have been something that people have wanted like day one since they dropped Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. No one's going to deny that, so it's been multiple years in the making, and I'm pretty sure Nintendo is full aware of that. Considering if they even looked at their YouTube statistic, I'm pretty sure that Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, if not just the Pokemon Presents in general, had a very, very high ratio of likes. Which, you know, some people don't think that's important, but I really think they do. I'm real. I'm pretty sure they look at that and they, they really use it to determine how people like their, their presentations and stuff. So, 
a brilliant diamond shining pearl bundle is really good because you know some might say that oh it would make more sense to do a uh, a pokemon legends bundle which i think that would be smart to do as well because i know a lot of people are hyped for the game especially if they brand the game around this will be the best running switch game because it'll come out on the switch pro because myself included a lot of people looked at the presentation for legends and said wow this looks really bad there was multiple frame drops multiple issues with the world but if they branded around this game is going to be the best looking switch game thus far then i think they could drive up sales and especially using that pokemon ip to bring in people However, considering that it's not a part of the mainline series Pokemon game, whether it's a remake or a, a new generation, I don't think that they'd want to take that risk necessarily and release it alongside with that. Because Pokemon Legends is coming out in 2022. It said early, so I don't know when that's going to be. Assumably around six to seven months after... Uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl come out just because they wouldn't want to try to take away sales from that, especially around like the holiday time, birthdays in the beginning of the year, things along those lines. So it's probably safe to assume that um, Legends will come out somewhere around March, April of uh, 2022. So about a year from now is when that game will come out. So I think that they'd much rather take the safer bet of releasing... Um, uh, brilliant diamond and shining pearl with the switch pro now we could throw away pokemon completely and talk about breath of the wild 2 so breath of the wild 1 was released alongside of the switch when it came out now legend of zelda is a massive franchise that's been around for decades and it was a very anticipated game because of its open worldness, its change in the Zelda formula, and its overall marketing and presentation. So I think that we can use that same logic uh, to assume that they're going to do the same with Breath of the Wild 2. A little bit different because it's not necessarily a rebranding from Breath of the Wild because it's a sequel, but it's banking off of the success and popularity of that first game and using it for a possible release. Now, if that's the case, considering that we've received zero news about Breath of the Wild, it is possible that we could get a release of the game right when it comes out on console. Now, if that's going to be released in 2021, then there is a very high chance that it will come out with Breath of the Wild 2. They will have multiple bundles, I'd assume, because not everyone that plays Legend of Zelda will play um, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, and vice versa. So they could come out with two bundles where it's like, hey, here's the Pokemon bundle that comes with like stickers or whatever they're going to do. And here is the Legend of Zelda bundle for the Switch Pro. I think both of those would sell really well, considering that a lot of people were discussing the Breath of the Wild 2 non-news i guess you could call it for the direct when uh they came out and announced that there was no news for breath of the wild 2 to share so they're very well aware of how popular that game is going to be so i think a switch pro bundle would absolutely sell well uh i think it would sell a little bit better for the sequel to breath of the wild than it would for 
the Gen 4 remakes of Pokemon. Because Breath of the Wild is a sprawling open world game that is one of the best Switch games that's ever come out. Not even not even subjectively, like objectively, it is one of the best ones that has come out. So I think they could definitely take advantage of that. And they can uh, brand it alongside of like, oh, hey, this is going to be um, a very good looking game. Maybe release some gameplay footage and show the capabilities of the Switch Pro. And it could it could reap them a lot of rewards. So when do I think it'll release? Last little point on this news. So me personally, I think that the Switch Pro is probably going to release around November of this year. And if it's not going to come out November of this year, then it'll come out November of next year. Because I really think that this model of having consoles come out uh, like in the last third of the year... I think is a much better opportunity for companies to do that because especially for Nintendo, their target audience are children. Children don't have jobs or, you know, stable incomes. So they have to rely on their parents to get them things. And what better time to get kids to consistently do it than Christmas and the holidays. So I think that if it doesn't come out this year, then we're going to have to wait another full year for the, uh, the fall cycle to come through. And then with that, we'll probably get a, uh, a Breath of the Wild 2 release alongside of it. Because I think right now, Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be released alongside of the Switch Pro. I'm pretty sure that's what they're going to do. Because Brilliant Diamond and uh, Shining Pearl, Pokemon Legends, they already have their announcement dates. It's not set in stone, but we already know it's one's coming out 2021, the other one 2022, early in the year. So... I think it's going to release in the, the fall of this year or the fall of next year. I don't think they're going to do a springtime release. I don't think that would really be that good. I don't know what console has ever come out springtime. Games is different because, you know, they already have the console. Uh, so who knows? We don't know yet. This is all just speculation. But I think that there's definitely good points of conversation to have about this. So that's it for the news this week. Uh, I just wanted to talk about this because it is an interesting point of conversation to talk about the uh, the Switch Pro leaks since pretty much everyone is ready for a Switch Pro at this point, especially if they're into competitive Smash, they're into streaming, they're into a lot of other things that revolve around the Switch itself. So with that being said, let's move on to our next portion, which is a rant or rave segment for WandaVision Season 1. So I want to preface this by saying that I say Season 1 just because, you know, it was the first season that came out. I don't say that in the way that I think there's going to be a Season 2 because the way that they ended it and the way that the last episode was titled Series Finale, I don't think there's going to be a second season. And if there will be, it'll be much, much later on. It's not going to be something that's going to be released in a year. It'll be multiple years, if at all. But I think this was just sort of a, a shorter story to build up a little bit more of Wanda's character and show her transition uh, from, you know, like Endgame Wanda or MCU Wanda, I guess I should call it movies, movies Wanda to the TV Wanda to the new Wanda that we're going to be getting. So many Wandas, I know. Um, 
this goes without saying, I'm going to be talking in depth a lot about WandaVision. So if you have not finished the show, uh, that obviously includes the last episode. If you have not finished it, then I'm highly going to recommend that you, you tune out of this podcast. You, 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 you go watch the show. Cause I, I think it's pretty good. Uh, so that's your warning. Now let's get into it. <clears throat> so first off, my initial thoughts on the show were different than most because a lot of people were really worried about the show saying, oh, it's a sitcom. I'm not going to watch a 50s sitcom with Wanda and Vision. Uh, admittedly, I didn't watch like any of the trailers. I think I saw the first one when it came out and that's it. I have a thing about not watching trailers for things that I'm actually interested in watching just because a lot of the mystery gets taken away. A lot of the intrigue gets taken away. Like there were like 35 end game trailers. I watched the first one and that's it. Um, so same thing applies to WandaVision. So I didn't really know what to expect going in. I watched the first two episodes with a friend, uh, and I think it's really good. They released the first two episodes in the same night because after the first episode, I was like, wait, what? Huh? But then the second episode didn't answer the questions, but it at least painted a more concise picture in my head. I was like, oh, okay. This makes a bit more sense. So... <clears throat> I think the show was really good. Um, I'm not really going to summarize. I'm just going to say like some big points. So basically the whole thing is Wanda is inside of this town called Westview with Vision. And the show starts in like a 1950s sitcom sort of thing. There are multiple instances where the quote unquote simulation breaks. Uh, instances where she sees color. Like she'll see this helicopter that is red while everything else is black and white. Um she'll see characters and the, the actual cinematography of the scene changes from like a widescreen fit to like a full screen stretch to where it looks more akin to the MCU, uh, with its, its filming style. So there's a lot of different instances where it happens. Um, so it gives you this sort of feeling that this isn't just supposed to be a sitcom. This is something and the sitcom is being interrupted. We later learn to we we later find out that Wanda is living inside of this thing called the hex is what they refer to it because it's hexagonal shaped, um, and she's being controlled or controlling the area around her and the agency sword. It's obviously the you know the successor to Shield. Um, I put that together, like at the fourth episode, I felt so dumb. I was like, Oh my God, sword and shield done. My friend was like, you didn't catch that? Like episode one, <laughs> uh, that's just because I'm stupid. But anyway, <clears throat> so we don't really know what's going on with here, but we, we know that there's this agency sword and they're doing sort of their things. I think it was like episode, it was episode three or four where they first introduced us to Monica and, um, the sword organization and everything that happened with it. So we build up and we find out that Wanda is inside of this hex and they don't know if she's controlling everything. If she's being controlled, if she has partial control, we don't know. But, uh, Monica was inside of the hex. Like she got sucked in and basically was playing a part. I think her name was Geraldine. Um, and then she mentioned Pietro to Wanda, her brother, of course, who passed away in Age of Ultron and was shot out of the hex by Wanda. So that sort of led people to think that it was going to be like, oh, this is 
Wanda's whole doing. She's evil. She's bad. She's the big bad. Uh, lo and behold, they do a bunch of other tests and trials and whatnot, and it later comes to prove that Wanda was in control of some of the people around her, but she's not the person who really created everything with uh, with the issues. That was Agatha all along, Agatha Harkness, who was played by her neighbor Agnes, um, who was just sort of the, the intrusive, happy-go-lucky neighbor that would always find herself in every episode and was just kind of cheery and weird. Um, <clears throat> but she was behind all of this because she herself was a witch, um, who of course escaped from like witch trials many, many years ago and was very powerful, stole a book from, uh, from Dr. Strange's, uh, cabinet or like the Sorcerer Supreme's cabinet. Um, that's pretty much confirmed because there's a missing one and she, she was talking about something with the ancient one about the Scarlet Witch being stronger than the ancient one. So it's pretty much confirmed that it's the same book, um, from the, uh, library if you will um but nonetheless uh wanda and agatha fight um wanda of course emerges victorious and she's a fully realized scarlet witch which is actually the first time that she was referred to as the scarlet witch in the mcu because everyone called her that because they knew her comic book character but in the mcu she was always just called wanda or maximoff or something like that uh, but this is the first time that she's ever been given the mantle of the Scarlet Witch, and it was given by Agatha, who told her the story of the Scarlet Witch. Less of the story and more of the prophecy, rather. Um, but she has an outfit change, which is amazing, very akin to her comic book design, um, which was teased at in the Halloween episode, uh, where Vision and Wanda were dressed up exactly like their old traditional comic counterparts, uh, which was just sort of a nice little nod. Um, even Quicksilver who was in there, of course, like Pietro came back and it was very, very weird. It was very odd. They, they played it off as a, as a, as a, a joke that I'm not going to say on the radio. Uh, but nonetheless, it was still a good show. Um, do I think it was the best show? I think it was really good. And there are definitely some things that I think they could have done better. Uh, but not in a way that took away from my experience, in a way that I would just like to see evolved in future Marvel TV series, because this is really their first one. I mean, they had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is true, and they had uh, Agent Carter, um, but this is the first one that's prominently featured characters from the MCU, as in, like, the heroes from the MCU. And we're going to have Falcon and the Winter Soldier next, and there's definitely going to be other ones that are going to come out. Um, so with that little synopsis, I guess, um, discussed just so we can kind of get a, like a basis of what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, I'm just going to be talking about what do TV series do better than movies? Because I'm going to be talking about this in relation to WandaVision. So personally, the thing that I have always found better about TV series as opposed to movies is the character progression along with more complex arcs. So, for example, if you take a simple movie like, I don't know, Zootopia. For some reason, that movie's in my head right now, so we'll talk about it. You know, take the movie Zootopia. You have a situation and a world that just exists, and they teach you very good themes. A lot of them are already pre-established within our notions of reality, like, oh, uh, prejudice, um, racism, segregation, things like that within Zootopia. Um, so, it, are, it sort of builds on our sort of notions and assumptions of that. And then you have characters like Nick who have these, um, you know, story arcs where it's like 
he was a predator, but he tried to fit alongside the prey because he wasn't violent and he just wanted to hang out with them. But the uh, the prey treated him like a predator and they, they put a muzzle on him. So his whole thing is that why would he try to be anything different than a conniving fox? Because that's what everybody thinks that he is. So we have that. That's how he was introduced as sort of like this comedic character that is like the, the sly fox trope. Um, but then we see he has a bit more depth as to why he does that. And then he becomes more fully realized with Judy later on. So that's sort of like a, a story arc that just kind of starts and then has like a low point where he explains and then sort of has a resolution. That's a good character arc design, definitely, but it exists only within one movie. I don't know if they're going to do a Zootopia 2 or a Zootopia universe. I don't know. Um, but that's like a story arc that exists and Judy has her own and these other characters have their own little story arcs that exist. But the advantage that TV series have is presenting multiple situations where the characters are able to either, you know, change their perspective about things, uh, they can challenge their own perspectives and evolve into a much more complex character. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, for example, let's take Sasuke from Naruto, for example. I'm sort of drawing out these longer conclusions to get to, to WandaVision. Uh, so you have Sasuke from Naruto, who started off, he wanted to be strong so he could kill his brother Itachi. And then, you know, he goes through building up, he was competing with Naruto, and then he realized that Naruto was stronger than him, so he had to go with Orochimaru to get the power that he desired. Then he found out the truth, and then he was you know, having this whole, like, terroristic ideal about destroying the Leaf Village and, and killing all of his friends, all of these things, and that is a multiple-layered, whether or not you like him or not, it, it, the truth is, he has a multiple-layer complex story arc that he has going on. Um, that exists within films, and definitely more so in sagas, but in a single movie, you don't really get that. Um, and especially alongside of a movie, you know, especially like an Avengers movie, you can't focus too much on one character. You got you got to like spread it out. You got to focus on the villain, what they're doing, their side, the main heroes, their discussions and things like that and have a couple fights and then other things like that. Whereas the TV series like WandaVision <clears throat> focused on two characters, two heroes from the MCU. And we have Wanda who she has been an elaborated character in the MCU since her inclusion from Age of Ultron. So she was introduced alongside with her brother Pietro, who was killed later on in that movie, and her whole thing is she became sort of this lackey, I guess, uh, this enhanced individual for Hydra because they took advantage of her with everything, um, you know, and her losing her parents uh, due to a missile sent by Tony Stark. So we already see that she lost her parents. She lost her brother in the same movie that she was introduced in. She sort of became a, a part of this family and was starting to feel a little bit comfortable, especially with Vision because of their connection with the Mind Stone. And she fell in love with him. They, they developed this close bond, this close relationship, and then Vision was taken away from her. And she was taken away from her hometown, which was, you know, destroyed. Uh, so she wasn't able to really get this family. And then to top it all off, she was blipped away by the Thanos snap. So she came back and you can hear the hurt and the pain in her voice when she told Thanos, you took everything away from me. And that right there just really shows her character and everything that she's going through. Like she's in a lot of strife and a lot of pain. And when she passed away, I remember there were some talking points showing how like when she blipped away, you could kind of see that she felt a little relieved. Like everything had been taken away from her. So she's ready. She's accepting this afterlife. 
and then she was brought back into the world due to Tony Stark. Um, which I guess you could also argue is a little bit of an interesting literary piece where it's like the person who took away everything in her world, Tony Stark and Thanos, were the people who eventually brought her back into the world after her death, which is a very interesting literary uh, sort of, like, I don't know, a literary piece of writing. I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, good liter literary device. I think that's that's how I'll put it. Um which, which is really good. So it builds her up to be this, like, complex character. And you can see that she has some villainous intent when she, like, looks at Thanos saying, you will. And then she is going to destroy him until he tells his crew to blow up the entire place. Um, but so bringing this back to the, the characters of WandaVision. Bringing this back to, you know, them. So we already see Wanda dealing with this loss but how is she going to deal with this loss? Is she just going to join the Avengers and fight bad guys and, and do these crazy things? No, she's going to, you know, seclude herself in this town that she, you know, unintentionally, but, you know, wasn't necessarily opposed to doing it. Just in case this entire town, so her and Vision could live out this idealistic life that they desired prior to, of course, everything happening. So this show basically begs the question of like, you know, how is she going to deal with this? What is she going to do with this strife that she's feeling? Well, she's going to do exactly what you would assume. She's going to try to basically throw everything away, not believe it, and create this own utopia, its own paradise for her to envision to take part of where people cannot enter. And if they do, they get sucked into the simulation sort of. And we absolutely see that we see that she throws Monica out because she doesn't want to talk about Pietro and all these sad things that she's felt. She wants to get rid of it so she can live out this life with vision where she's happy. And we can see how genuinely happy she is in like the first few episodes with her family and everything. Like she's really happy and talking with vision uh, and especially once the kids come by, then she's even happier until the later episodes where she's sort of like devolving and the sitcom facade sort of fades away. Um, but her creating the hex is a perfect, um, is a perfect, I guess you could say transition from her movie character to her TV show character because her TV, her movie character sort of like brushed some things aside. She definitely was feeling a lot of pain, especially in um, Civil War when she blew up the, the place in Lagos. Uh, she was definitely feeling really bad. Vision was there to comfort her, um, which also sparked their love and their, their interest for each other. So the TV series um, sort of format really does help with building her character to be a bit more complex and have her get sort of that point of, of that really low point in her life where, you know, she was a villain at first and then she sort of joined, had some struggles, but then basically became a hero, but at the same time still lost everything due to her situations. So then she has that like villainous rise again. And that leads into the next point of conversation of, what does this mean for her? Is she going to be a villain? Like, is she going to be the villain for Doctor Strange? Is she going to uh, be her be a villain in like a different movie series? What is she going to do? Uh, so before we go into that, I'm just going to like recap 
I think the TV series is definitely better for having a more complex story arc for certain characters. And even Vision benefited from this because he was always that very stoic, philosophical uh, sort of voice of reason, you can say, and was never really humanized all that much. He was always like thinking rationally and doing all these things. But in WandaVision, he was definitely more human, especially that one scene where him and Wanda are yelling at each other and he raises up and he has legit emotions on his face. Um, and conversations that he's having, even with White Vision, where it's like, yeah, he's, he's more philosophical during that conversation. But he's definitely more human. He cares about his family. He cares about Wanda. He talks to Wanda and he says, Wanda, I just care about you. That's all I care about. So that really acts to humanize him as well and make him a bit more of a an in-depth character. But even more so with Wanda, because you know the whole show was really based around her. Even though it's called Wanda Vision, it's you know it's mostly Wanda's show. It, it, it it's her not origin story, but it's her development story, which can develop into her being a possible villain. Now, there's a lot of things going around saying that she is going to be the villain or a villain in the next Doctor Strange movie. I think it's called like Multiverse of Madness or something like that. I'm pretty sure she's already confirmed to be in that movie, but we don't know what she's going to be. Is she going to be Wanda Maximoff or is she going to be the Scarlet Witch? Because that's a very important distinction. <clears throat> so in the first Doctor Strange movie, to sort of diverge for a second, uh, the movie ended with, um, with Mordo sort of having this inner conflict to where he trusted the Ancient One but then Strange revealed some information about the Ancient One that basically shook Mordo. He was like, I trusted you forever and you lied to me. And then at the end of the movie, I'm pretty sure it's the post credit scene, uh, Mordo takes away the uh, um, basically like the power that was inside of Jonathan Pangborn that cured him of his paralysis. He just took it away and then Pangborn just fell limp. And the way, I can't remember exactly the line that he said, but like, he had villainous intent behind his words. So it was sort of built up that Mordo is going to have some conflict with Dr. Strange or the universe after, um, after the first Dr. Strange movie. So comparing that with Wanda, Wanda definitely seems to have this like power sort of, I don't want to say a crave, but she's definitely becoming a more realized character and she lost vision again. She lost her kids and she's still, and she lost pretty much everything. She had to, you know, get rid of the hex and everything. So it's, it's really up to interpretation about how she's going to uh, play out and if she's even going to be a villain. Now that does, you know, lead to a lot of interesting conversations because what's she going to, is she going to be the main villain? I don't think she's going to be the main villain. She'll definitely be something of importance. Though, if she's going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie, then, you know, the way that villains tend to work is that they're either going to be built up to be the big bad for 15 movies later, like how they did with Thanos. Um, I mean, more than 15 movies, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, they could introduce her as a villain, but then she turns good again at the end of Doctor Strange, um, or she just straight up gets killed, which I don't think they're going to do because of the show, and she is a fan favorite and everything that she has gone through. They have to do a bit more of a poetic justice to her 
Because right now she's just like, you know, power hungry. Uh, she's learning a lot of, of what's going on. And her power could just be traversing through like the multiverse to try and, uh, you know, to try and like rescue her family from like an alternate dimension or rescue vision from an alternate dimension. Maybe even her brother, which brother are we going to get like MCU Quicksilver? Are we going to get this, uh, sexual joke, (laughs) um, Quicksilver that we got in the, in WandaVision? Uh, we don't exactly know. We saw at the end of WandaVision how her uh, her son or sons were screaming out to her before the episode ended officially. So that leads to some possible theories like are they actually dead? Because we already saw that um, one of the kids, I don't remember if it was Billy or Tommy, had sort of like telekinetic abilities uh, where they could like sense what's going on or see what's going on from great distances. So is that him using it through the multiverse? Is that him using it from Westview? Because she's in like Sweden now, uh, and that was in New Jersey. So it's like, is is he telepathically communicating with her? Uh, he was screaming out, "Mom!" So I don't know if it's just because he's scared, he's being held captive. Or, or, or anything, really. Um, that's really up for interpretation. I think they're probably going to go more with the multiverse idea or like alternate realities, purely because the Doctor Strange movie is going to be called Multiverse of Madness. So I think they're probably going to go down that route uh, and do things like that because there is talk of the X-Men coming into the MCU, which that could play out. Either Wanda creates them with like the radiation. Cause I mean, she already created uh, Monica into photon. I believe the character's name is, I'm not too sure. Um, but it could be possible that Wanda has this ability and her main issue or her main fight with Dr. Strange uh, or in the future MCU is that she just creates this army of mutants, you know, very, very possible things to, to happen with this. Um, what could white vision do? Because we saw that he had these, like, computer chip eyes. I guess that's a good way to put them. Um, when he was first introduced. Which leads people to think that he was just, like, a creation. But then through his conversation with Vision, he was able to change his eyes. Now, my theory with that is that Vision sort of... I don't necessarily know if he transferred memories. Obviously, he did because of the flashbacks that we saw. But I think he more so transferred a part of himself. If we remember from Infinity War, the whole reason they went to Wakanda in the first place was so Shuri could work on Vision to remove the Mind Stone but keep Vision alive. Because Banner said that, oh, there's a bunch of different minds working together inside of Vision. You have Ultron, you have uh, Banners, and you have Starks, and you have Vision. Uh, and then the Mind Stone just, of course, like is connected to all of them. But if they remove the Mind Stone, then Vision could be free of that potential uh, danger that awaits him. So, if we extend that to White Vision, he doesn't have a spa- he doesn't have a- an Infinity Stone in him. He just sort of has like a laser, uh, and he's made of the same material that Vision is. Of course, that's why they're able to to compete with each other in fights. But with his eyes changing, I think that leads a little bit more towards Vision implanting his consciousness, or at least a part of his consciousness, into White Vision, 
which can lead him to sort of take over White Vision later on, sort of like how Ultron was able to take over different pieces of tech, which can lead him to becoming one with Wanda again. That is a possibility. Or he's going to go and like warn the Avengers about everything that's happening. That is a possibility. I think White Vision is going to become way more important to the MCU um, than it was led on to be in uh, WandaVision. I, I really do think that. Um, again, the show humanizing Vision was a really, really good thing, uh, especially with like his conversation with White Vision and his conversation with Wanda there at the end. I think it was really, really good um, and definitely did a big part in making the show feel a bit more human. Now, issues that I have with the show, um, <clears throat> I think they could have done a little bit better with the uh, the sitcom format. I do think that it was really good, but it definitely felt stronger in like the first three episodes when it was, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s theme. I think it kind of fell off when it was in like the, the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. I really don't think it was all that strong. I don't think it was necessarily bad, but I think that they really wanted to go into more of the um, like the the more realistic approach with the uh, the modern sitcoms, like with the modern family, the semi office theme, the Malcolm in the middle sort of construction. Um, and I think it kind of took away the suspense of everything with um, with the sitcom format in the later decades, because the 50s and the 60s. I actually saw a clip before I started this episode it was on TikTok. It was about like 1950s movie bloopers. And a bunch of people in the comments were like, I kind of forgot that these actors were people because like you don't see them now because they're all dead you don't see them in these lights anymore you don't see them being silly or funny or being off script we just kind of see them as these characters um so it, it felt very weird seeing these bloopers some people even quoted it was it felt illegal to watch uh, and i kind of agree to an extent like it didn't feel right and i think that's the big intrigue that having it in like the 50s 60s and 70s and especially in the black and white did for WandaVision, it built that mystery and that intrigue where it's like, if someone broke the fourth wall or did something freaky during the black and white sitcom, it felt more important. It felt bigger. It felt freakier. But like in the Modern Family one, they didn't really do anything like that. They just kind of had the sitcom. And it I don't want to say it fell off because it was still really good and it was entertaining because they were building up more of the story. But I think that having the intrigue be with like the 50s and the 60s and the 70s did a lot for the show and made it that sort of contrast between what's actually happening and what we're seeing on the screen with Wanda's sitcom thing. Um, that's really one of the only issues that I had with the show. It felt kind of weird. Agatha's character, I think, was built up okay. I just, I think that, I just think that her character... I don't want to say it was bad, but like we didn't really have enough time to marinate with, with Agatha. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a whole lot of time to really care for her. And I'm not saying that we had to care for her, but it's like, what was her motivation? Like, was she just wanting the power to become powerful? Which I guess that's an okay motivator. Cause a lot of people in the MCU have had that. And a lot of villains in general have had that, but why? Why did she want the power? Like, did she just want it to become strong? Was there someone she wanted to save? Like, 
what's going on? So that's a big issue that I had with, with Agatha. She was, she was cool and her power was really cool. Definitely. And her introduction showing Wanda, like the runes and, and the magic and all that stuff. Um, but I think she was definitely one of the weaker MCU villains. She's definitely really cool. Has like the best theme song. Um, it just felt a little bit lackluster, uh, in my mind. Other than that, I thought the show was good. Um, one, one last thing, uh, I'm going to address something that a lot of people thought was an issue that I was really not thinking was an issue at all. Uh, filler and pacing. Now I saw countless people on social media saying, Oh, WandaVision has too much filler. Like get to the good stuff. It's like, huh? Do, do you guys know what a filler is like at all? I mean, seriously, they, they don't know what a filler is. Now, if there was one episode uh, that was a filler episode, I'd, I'd, I don't know what it was because none of them felt like filler to me because what a filler is is if you take it out, the core story doesn't change. That is not the case for any episode in WandaVision. You take out episode three and it's a different show. You take out episode four and it's a different show. And it's like... I don't think these people understand what a filler is. You know, watch Naruto. You know, watch watch One Piece. Watch Bleach. You'll, you'll know what a filler is after you watch these shows. You know, they're not important to the story. They might be entertaining, but they're not important to the story. That's what a filler is. Every episode of WandaVision was important to the story. Or there scenes that were probably like, okay, you could have thrown that out. Possibly. But, like, even the whole Sparky scene where it's like, oh... Sparky's dead. Mom, bring him back. I can't revive the dead. That showed the viewers that, hey, Wanda didn't revive Vision. Like, Vision is dead. He's gone. And then we found out that it was part of the Mind Stone that lives within her that was that basically helped her create this part of Vision into the show. That was what was shown. Um, so I don't really think there was any filler. Like, I think that's a very bad argument. And I, and I think a lot of people just were impatient with the show because they're used to Netflix binge culture where, you know, 24 episodes of a season are just released and then people watch it in two days. And I think that hinders a lot for, um, for producers to, to let their shows sort of like soak in a little bit longer and build up the hype and the tension, um, in the show. Cause so many people were just like, Oh my gosh, can we get to the point already? It's like, the whole interest of the show is is building up over time and doing these things. So I think that's a really bad argument. And with pacing, I think the pacing, like I said with the the, the sitcom format, was good up until they hit like the 80s. Um, I think it could have been a little bit better. Uh, but that's not really even a pacing issue. That's like a content issue. Though, yeah, I guess the pacing could be a little bit quicker. But I think the Agatha re reveal being where it was, I think it was fine. Maybe an episode earlier could have been okay, but... I still think it was good. I mean, it's nine episodes. Oh my gosh. I mean, nine weeks. Yeah, that's like two months. But come on, let's 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 uh, let's be okay right now. All right, we don't need to be worrying about the pacing. It's it's not anything crazy. Now, if it was like a sixty episode season and they were releasing one a week, then okay, there's a bit more issue you can draw with that. Um, but anyway, like. I think the show was good. It leads a lot into what's going to happen in the future of the MCU uh, with possibly mutants, with Scarlet Witch being a more prominent character, which I am more for so we can feel a bit more connected to her. Um, and especially the inclusion of uh, Monica Rambeau going and talking to Nick Fury. That was confirmed. 
Uh, so I think that's going to be very interesting to see what they're going to talk about and what the initiative is with S.W.O.R.D. and uh, Nick Fury's involvement with it. So that's going to conclude this segment of Rant or Rave talking about WandaVision. I really liked the show. I thought it was a good step for... Um, for the MCU with these TV series on Disney plus Falcon and the winter soldier confirmed the first episode, I believe is going to be on March 19th. It's somewhere like the 16th or the 19th. It's, it's one of them. It, it's going to be, it's going to be somewhere around there, which is going to be really fun. I think that one's going to be good. I heard it's going to be rated R. So who knows? We might hear some, uh, hear some funny lines of dialogue or see some, uh, some more brutal fights, which I am more, more for. Um, but that's going to conclude this episode of on air with air on. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, I will have another episode coming out next week. I'm not sure what I'm going to be talking about then, but there could possibly be some good stuff coming out. Um, And with that being said, thank you all for stopping by, and I will see you in the next episode.